2083. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate, when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Well, I may not be the brightest bulb in the chandelier. I may not be the brightest crayon in the box. But at least... I'm smarter than a box of rocks. My friend the stonemason set us up with several different rocks that I want us to think about for a moment. What can you tell me about this piece of stone? It's black. All right. Is it soft? No, it's not soft. All right. Well, what can you tell me about this piece of stone? Is this different than the one that I just had? What, what, what's unique about this one? It's red. Go Bulldogs. Here, here's another stone. It's kind of interesting. What, what can you tell me about this stone that's not true of these two stones? Different colors. It's got a flat bottom. That, that's always a good thing. Um, kind of has striations. What, what is this stone called? Zebra rock. Hey, look at that. I, I, I found the stripes. They're, they're, that's not an accident. All right. See, I am smarter than the box. It didn't fall. What can you tell me about this rock, this stone? It didn't come from Kansas. Because if so, Harshman stone would be crushing it, and they don't crush this. So, 
This one has uh, little glittery pieces in it, if you look at it close. That's meant to be on the side. And my uh, final piece of stone this morning. Why don't you tell me about this one? Nobody knows that this one's green and this one's black. Well, as I look at these stones, I, I found earlier this week a group of stones. And what if I told you that I could put these stones together in a particular way that would communicate a message? If I put these stones together and, and others that like it, do you think you might be able to read a bigger story in the stones? This is actually an aerial photo of some place within Chase County. A piece of artwork done by Mr. Brendan Harshman. One of the best questions he's ever asked in his life. See, we, we can look at the individual stones and the individual pieces, and sometimes we look at the way the stones fit together, and when we, the stones fit together, it tells a bigger story. And so sometimes when we look at God's Word, we need to look at the individual pieces, and sometimes we need to zoom out. But if we zoom out too far, what if I told you this picture is of that very same message, just from a broader perspective? See, if we look too far out, all we see are pastures, ponds, and roads. But if we zoom in, we see a message. And if we zoom even closer, we see the intricacies of individual stones. But sometimes, I, I, I believe there's something significant to our study of Scripture. We need to look at the individual verses as we memorize them. We need to look at the big picture as some of us commit to read through the Bible in a year. And, and sometimes if we read through in a year, we, we get such a broad perspective that we miss the individual messages that are in there. But I believe if we look close at the individual stones next to the other stones, we see that the way that they are arranged becomes very beautiful and communicates something that cannot be found if we just look at the individual pieces. Some people know a quote or two from the Bible, and, and because they know a quote or two, they think they know what the whole thing says. I, th I think others, um, they become specialists on one or two ideas that the Bible contain. For have you ever heard anyone say, the main message of the Bible is that God is love and we ought to love each other. It is true that that message is in the Bible, but that's not all that the Bible says. And so we need to know the individual pieces, and we need to know the way the individual pieces fit into a bigger story. Have you heard the God of the Old Testament was cruel? Well, 
I believe both of these oversimplified statements come from looking at the Bible too closely or too broadly. We need to both walk in the pasture, and sometimes we need to step away and look from a bigger perspective to see the individual pieces and the way that they fit together. One person may look at Luke's by the way, that this is uh, Luke Koch's stones, and that is some of his work behind me. We may look at some of this artwork and conclude, well, that piece is a blue stone. And somebody else will say, well, when I look at it, I see a red stone. And they are both accurate, truthful statements. But they're missing something about the flowing lines and about the project as a whole. This is an illustration of how we need to come to God's Word. We come looking at the individual stones, but we also come looking for the bigger story. But we can't look too big or we will miss the pieces. Each stone of my wife's mother's ring is a unique color referring to each child. But only when the ring is viewed as a whole do you get a fuller picture of her motherhood. We look at the individual and we look at the whole. Now by covering four chapters of the Bible this morning in one sermon, my goal is that sometimes we may notice some of the themes that we would miss if we were looking in a small verse-by-verse way. What do the stories in Acts 3, 4, 5, and 6 have in common? They have in common that they don't happen in private, and they happen in the center of the community where the apostles were living after the resurrection. And so using those two observations, it happened in public and it happened in their community. I want us to think about our faith. Is it only a private issue for us? Or sometimes does our faith call us to a public proclamation in the community in which we live as in these four chapters in the book of Acts? I conclude that the truth of the resurrection of Jesus cannot be ignored. When you hear the claim of the resurrection of Jesus, you must respond one of two ways. You will either silence the message because you disregard it, or you will see this message as worthy of being proclaimed. I believe that the early church determined the resurrection could not be silenced. People who were amazed at the power of God to heal in the very first story in Acts chapter 3, they needed to hear the power of God to forgive in Jesus' name. They saw the healing but they needed to hear the words so that they could receive the forgiveness. Verses 12 through 16 of Acts 3 describes how Jesus died and rose. 
But verses 17 through 26 of the same chapter go on and they describe for us why Jesus died and rose. The why is so that sin may be blotted out, verse 19, and that it would turn every one of you from your wickedness, verse 26. The reason why of the resurrection is to wash the sin out of all of us. The power structure that was most opposed to resurrection talk tried to silence the disciples in verse 18. But when the power structure knew that they could not silence the crowds, because the crowds observed compassion in practice. And if we, are com- if we put our compassion into practice, the impact upon our community is undeniable. And to these in Jerusalem who saw compassion, they knew there had to be a reason why, and the disciples gave them the why. The the power structure tried threats, they tried beatings, they tried imprisonment, but the early church recognized a higher authority than their power structure. As a matter of fact, Peter and John records a response to this power structure. When they were told, you need to be quiet about all this resurrection talk, they responded with these words. But Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. They yielded to a higher authority so that they would not be silenced by the power structure. And then the story comes to the church, the broader church, and their response is recorded in a prayer. When the power structure tries to silence the message, they prayed, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness we cannot be hushed into a corner nobody puts baby in a corner for they prayed while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant jesus we can expect that compassion is going to win the attention, and then we need to explain the stories with great boldness of our resurrected Jesus. And then chapters 5 and 6 of Acts uh, focus on some of the inside the family issues. 3 and 4 has to deal with the public. 5 and 6 kind of comes within the walls of the church and says, we've got some issues we need to work out. And one of those issues is, is we, get, we need to make sure that all of the widows are taken care of. And so one who was appointed to make sure that all of the widows got enough food and doing the work of compassion so that the apostles could focus on preaching and prayer 
one of those who was appointed to, make, to do the work was a man by the name of Stephen. And Stephen did both the practical work, but chapter 6, verse 10 describes his words. See, we can't say, I'll let my work do my talking for me. We need both the work and the word. Because it tells us, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. He here is Stephen. Stephen, who was given the job of making sure the widows have enough food, but as he was making sure the food was getting distributed, he was speaking in such a way that they could not withstand. Doing good with your life, and I hope you do, does not prevent the sharing of the gospel with your words. But the Sadducees had already been convinced in their mind that the resurrection talk must be silenced. The apostle says it cannot be silenced. We can't help but to talk about what we've seen. But the Sadducees had already made up their mind despite the facts. And so they had to try and silence the talk because it did not mesh with their ideas. During the life of Jesus he encountered three groups of Jewish leaders who were opposed to his ministry. The Pharisees, um, they, they desired to dot all the I's and cross all the T's and make sure that all the rules of Moses' law were being followed. The Herodians was another group. And all they wanted to do was go along with the flow. And can't everyone just cooperate with the government so that... Uh, so that there, no one ruffles the feathers. But the third group was a group of Sadducees. The Sadducees denied that there was life after death. So their goal was to make this life as comfortable as possible. I believe that there are some within our society who deny that there's any kind of an afterlife they deny that there's any kind of a supreme authority outside of us. Life is all about you making this life as good as you can. Any claims that a person had come back from the afterlife, or any hope that forgiveness could lead to life after the resurrection, they had to silence because they thought your best life is your best life now. And so they tried to silence the message of Jesus coming back from the dead, going up to heaven and promising to come back. The hinge pin of the disciples' message was that Jesus had resurrected and Jesus is coming back. And this was 180 degrees opposed to the Sadducees' claim that your best life now is all that you can hope for. In today's four chapters, we don't hear anything from the Pharisees. We don't hear anything from the Herodians. But the Sadducees are leading the attempts to silence the Christian messengers. And today, there are some who are trying to silence the Christian message that talks about an afterlife, that talks about a judge, that talks about heaven and hell, because they just want you to focus on your best life now. 
and those who are most adamant about silencing the Judeo-Christian morality, those who are most threatened by religious liberty are those who are obsessed with your best life now. Those who claim a a morality that is larger than the individual are labeled phobic, hateful, or an ist of some sort. The core of the Christian message is that your decisions and lifestyle are not primarily about your life now. But your commitment to King Jesus is about your best existence both now and for all eternity. If you choose, as the apostles did, that witnessing is better than silence, I cannot guarantee that everyone you talk to will be pleased with the discussion. But what I can tell you is that the truth of the resurrection in these chapters spawned at least four different responses. The first response is about those who needed Christ. Those who needed Christ were blessed with the response. We begin with the lame beggar. Chapter 4, verse 22 tells us that he was at least 40 years old. For over 40 years, this man needed a healing that nobody else seemed to be able to offer. And Peter and John said, "I, I, I don't have silver or gold, but I can give you something that nobody else can. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And the man who had a need was blessed. Chapter 4, verse 35. The church sold their belongings, gave them to a distribution point where it could be distributed to all who had need. The needy of that community, in a day before Social Security, in a day before welfare, the needy were provided for by the church. Chapter 5, verses 15 and 16 says, People came from all in the neighboring towns, all over. They came just to be close to these apostles. And verses 15 and 16 says that the sick were all healed. Those who needed Christ, those who admitted their need for Christ, received blessing. But there were those who were opposed to Christ. They'd already made up their mind and they didn't need to be confused by the facts. And so the first time they hear about these Christians talking about resurrection, chapter 4, verse 2 says they were annoyed by them. Why why can't they just go away? Why, why, Why can't they just be quiet? But when the Christians refuse to be silenced, we get to chapter 5, verse 17, and we see that God was doing something. God was winning over the crowds, and the Sadducees weren't able to win over the crowds. So instead of just being annoyed at the Christians, now the Sadducees are jealous of the Christians. 
because God is enabling them to do something that the Sadducees could not do themselves. And so annoyance turns to jealousy. And then at the end of chapter 5, their jealousy turns to rage. Chapter 5, verse 33. They threatened and jailed the apostles, but an angel released the apostles and told them to go talk about what just happened. So by morning, when the priests come back together, Peter and John had already gathered a crowd in the temple. See, the Lord's work done in the Lord's way will never lack the Lord's supply. And I'm not saying that your testimony will always be received with rainbows and unicorns. But we have a promise that God uses His Word to accomplish God's purpose. And so when Peter and John were released from the jail and told, go back to the temple and tell what's going on, they did what they were told. They spoke the word of the Lord, and God brought together a crowd who was responding. See, we have a promise that God's work done God's way never lacks God's provision. Because we have the promise from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. So shall my Yahweh's word be that goes out from his mouth. It shall not return to Yahweh empty, but it shall accomplish that for which I purpose. And it shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. This is a great verse. It's always used by the Gideons to talk about the distribution of scriptures. And that the word of God, prayerfully placed, will always accomplish the purpose of God in that place. Written from a prison, Paul still attests that in all things, even though he was imprisoned, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. No promise of rainbows and unicorns, but a promise that God will accomplish his purpose through his word. Thirdly, we have those who tried to manipulate Christ. Those who needed Christ, those who were enraged by Christ, and those who tried to manipulate Christ were disciplined. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 11 is the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias voluntarily sold a piece of property voluntarily gave some of the proceeds of that property to the Lord's work, but arrogantly he lied about the sale price in order to make himself look better in the eyes of others. He sold the property for $100 an acre, but he told the church, I only got $50 an acre, so I'm, I'm giving it all to the Lord. In an arrogant attempt to make himself look good, aren't, aren't I sacrificial? Look at how I give all, the, all of the proceeds. He said, you've just lied to God. You've lied to God's people. And lies cannot be tolerated. And Ananias died right there. What we used to call DRT. Dead right there. And they picked him up and he carried him out. Three hours later, his wife came, having not heard the story about what happened to her husband. But she said, yep, that's our story, and we're sticking to it. DRT. And she was gone, too. 
See, 1 John chapter 5, verse 16 states that some sins lead to death. And some sins do not. But we have the promise that the Lord does discipline the one he loves. The Lord chastises every son whom he receives. And those who tried to manipulate the Christian message for their own purpose were disciplined by God. Even Gamaliel, the, the, the Pharisee, not, not claiming to be a Christ follower, he saw what was happening and he admitted to his fellow Pharisees, you guys need to keep away from those men. You need to leave them alone. For if their plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. Just give them enough rope, they'll hang themselves. But notice verse 39. But if their plan is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. And you might even be found opposing God. What a sobering word from within their own camp. Leave them alone. Let them play out. Fourthly, I find that those who heard about Christ believed in him. Some were already angry and became angrier. Some admitted their need and received blessing. Some tried to manipulate for their own benefit and received discipline. But many who heard the good news of Jesus that takes away our sin believed. Chapter 4, verse 4, 5,000 men responded. Chapter 5, verse 14, a multitude responded. Chapter 6, verse 1, the disciples increased to the extent that the twelve could no longer manage both teaching and benevolence. They needed help with the benevolence so that they could continue teaching. Chapter 6, verse 7 tells us that the disciples multiplied greatly. Notice the difference. The Lord has been adding to their number, and now the disciples are multiplying. Multiplication means that the apostles are not the ones who are adding to the church, but the ones that they added are now adding others. And it's a work of multiplication. How many hours would I have to invest to bring the 2,700 citizens of Chase County to the Lord? I don't know the number, but I'm willing to invest the rest of my human days working towards that goal. But there may be a better plan. Instead of my working to add souls to the kingdom of God, what if half of us, if there's 80 of us here, what if just 40 of us committed sometime within the next two years, I will make a disciple of Jesus Christ through my compassion and through the gospel? And then between years three and four, 
50% of the 120 made a disciple within the next two years. And 50% of that number made a disciple in the next two years. Do you realize that by the time I hit my 70th birthday, all of Chase County will be in God's kingdom? If believers, in addition to the 50% number that I tossed out, those who attend other Bible-believing, Bible-preaching churches and traditions, if they buy into the disciple-making mission, or if we have more than half of us who would participate in the process of making a disciple every two years, it would only happen quicker. When we move from addition to multiplication, because we all realize God has given this mission to us, not just to the pastor, to the missionary. We, we even see in chapter 6, verse 7, that when the disciples were multiplying, many of the priests believed. Some who first responded with increasing bitterness have now come around to belief. My friend, I challenge you, never give up. Just because somebody you tell about Jesus responds negatively the first time. Because even the priest who became bitter, it tells us when they saw it, when they thought about it, when the Holy Spirit was at work, many of the priests began to believe in the resurrection. I want to make this very, very practical for us. Labor Day weekend, 2022. Three bubble points, bullet points. Number one, compassion and truth must be seen in our interactions. As we engage the public square, we can't be viewed as angry and irritated and upset with the burr under our saddle. We must be marked by compassion and truth. And we will see healing. We will see widows provided for. The truth that Ananias and Sapphira says, we can't lie to God. We've got to have integrity in what we say and do. Compassion and truth. The second bubble point, bullies cannot when our silence. When we first pitched the idea of having a prayer meeting on the football field for our athletes, it only took about 90 minutes before someone said, well, what about people who pray different than you do? And we simply said, pray to whatever God you want to in whatever way you want to. We're going to gather and pray to the God of the Bible and trust him for results. See, we can't allow the bullies to force us into silence. The Sadducees tried to manipulate their own power through intimidation. Hatred and fear become labels used to intimidate or to manipulate us. But we cannot let the bullies win. 
we must be as committed as the disciples to compassionate and truthful proclamation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And my third bubble point, bullet point, is that our faithful testimony must focus on Jesus, not on results. Our testimony is to make disciples of Jesus Christ, not to build the biggest church in Chase County. Increase is is simply a byproduct of a healthy mission. If we are healthy in our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ, the Lord will add to numbers. But that's not our primary goal. Make disciples first. Secondly, we need to focus on Jesus because we are to make disciples, not wealth. Our goal is not to have the fullest coffers in the county so that everyone will turn to us as the great Savior of Chase County. God can effectively motivate His people to resource His mission. And the Lord's work has never halted because He failed to supply what was needed. Because the Lord's work done in the Lord's way will never lack the Lord's provision. Our goal is not a big church. Our goal is not wealthy um, bank accounts. And thirdly, we need to proclaim Jesus because we make disciples not try to build a power base. We saw in our Revelation study that political power and religious clout will collapse. But those who personally remain faithful to God will persevere. We must speak and not allow ourselves to be silenced. One way that we speak For justice is through our voting. And I hope all of you express your voice in this way. There are information uh, pamphlets on the black table in the fellowship hall that will tell you how to register online or in person if you are not registered to vote. But being a disciple of Jesus is not about voting for a party or a personality. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ is to to vote for positions that reflect your discipleship of King Jesus. If Jesus is my king, this is a position that I stand for. Nobody will ever be accepted or denied access to heaven based upon ballots in an election. But elections have results, and one of those results is creating an environment where people can live long enough in a culture where they can be exposed to the gospel of the resurrected and returning Jesus. And if we are disciples of Jesus, we need to vote in such a way that life lasts long enough in a culture that is positive enough where people can respond to our King Jesus. My big idea that I wrote at the beginning of my message was, we must be passionate and compassionate in our testimony in the public square about the one who sends us on mission. I hope you will participate with me in speaking of the resurrected and returning Christ in the public square, 
and in our private conversations. If you would like to commit to that purpose this morning, we're going to sing together one song, two verses that talk about using our words for the glory of Christ. It's a prayer.